0: couldn't help but remember is the verse that it's referring to in Matthew chapter 7 it talks about that broad way and that narrow way and you know that broad way that he's speaking of according to the ancient rabbis they said that there in uh, Bethlehem in Bethlehem Bethlehem was the home of the Kohanim the priest who would guard the flocks that they would use for the sacrifices. So Those shepherds abiding in the fields weren't in some Lowly shepherds abiding in the field. These were the Kohanim, these are the priests. And these priests out guarding these sheep, there's two ways in which they would, or two pathways out there in those fields of Bethlehem. One is a real broad way, one is a narrow way. And the way they determined which sheep they would use or which animals they would use for the sacrifice of the next year is by which pathway they traveled. The ones that would travel down the broad way, those are the ones that were used for the sacrifices. The ones that went up the narrow way are the ones that they would use to procreate for the sacrifices for the following year. And so he speaks about one path leading to death and the other speaking of leading to life. And uh, if I can get your pastor over to Israel, I'll show him some of those things. I've been on him all day and all night last night trying to talk him into coming to Israel and making a trip and... And uh, trying to get a group to come over there and see the Holy Land. And uh, about got him convinced we only got one obstacle, and it's that airplane. And so we got to get him over that hump of that airplane and, uh, so we can make this happen. So how many would like to take a trip over to Israel? Man, that's a lot of folks. That's a lot of folks. So uh, we're going to be working on that. He said he's going to fly this year. And uh flying into Salt Lake City is not the best option in the world to for your first flight. And so maybe y'all need to get him on a plane just flying from Chattanooga to Atlanta or something. Just let him get used to that because once he comes over those mountains in Utah and he does that uh six flags roller coaster coming down to land, y'all may have issues of coming to Israel. So <laughs> You know, the flying is great. You know, the turbulence that you hit, if you want to know what turbulence is like, just go down to Alabama and drive on the roads in Alabama. That's turbulence. I mean, that's what it's like. I'll be honest with you. So I used to live right there on the Alabama line, and you could tell once you crossed the line. And uh, so anyway, so that'll give you a taste of turbulence. Just take off and go for a drive through one afternoon, and and, uh, that's it. Flying's easy, but it's well worth it. Once you get over there and start seeing that Bible come to life, and you start saying, I've been showing him pictures of the well of Bethlehem. i drink water out of the well of Bethlehem. Places that we go, that we take groups, we do extreme Bible tours is what we do. It ain't no, you know, if you're going to relax and enjoy a good vacation, you don't want to go with me. Because we'll walk you to death, and we will give you so much Bible, your head will be spinning by the end of the day. But I'm telling you, that Bible will come to life. And when you start seeing those scriptures, when you walk down in the valley of Elah and you pick up five smooth stones out of that dried up creek bed and you see where David fought Goliath, and uh, you see this, and I'm telling you, when you read your Bible, you're going to see those images in your mind. You know, I hear people talk about all the time. I went to Israel and, and, uh, and they talk about how such a, a spiritual experience it is. Well, I've never had such a spiritual experience. If that's your case, there's something wrong. You ought to get that in the house of God. But I'm telling you, when you get over there, it'll open up that Bible to you. And when you read it, it's amazing how you can see it all in your mind. So I'm watching that maniac of Dara as I'm standing in one of those tombs where he was located. And I look out and I see the Sea of Galilee right there. And you, you see those all that, all that that's taking place and how the Bible just comes to life. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Seeing the Jordan River... And all the different locations that I go to to show you how it looks, it's incredible. You can go up in the very north and get out Shimona where it starts, at the very northern tip of Israel. And uh, you walk out on the back porch of McDonald's, get you a nice cappuccino or a cup of coffee. You don't want to buy the hamburger. They're like 15 bucks for a McDonald's hamburger. They're pretty expensive, but get you a cup of coffee. They're cheap. The coffee the cheap at McDonald's. But you go out on that back porch and you stand there and you see where the Jordan River starts right there in the back of McDonald's. And you see the rapids of it. They go whitewater rafting down the Jordan River up in that area. Then you can go to see it at, uh, down in Canerah to the Sea of Galilee. And you look at it there. Totally different scenario. Calm, beautiful, clear, peaceful. And then you go down to the Jericho area. And you go out to the Dead Sea there where Naaman would have met with Elijah. or Elijah, And he said, go dip in that water seven times. And he said, you want me to get in that water? Yeah. And it's just mud. I mean, nasty water. You see people get in that and get baptized. They ain't getting in that water. It's nasty. And the scenario of it is absolutely amazing. I mean, that Bible just comes to life. It's incredible. And so I've been wetting his appetite, wetting his appetite, trying to get this up. So y'all stay on and pray about it. Get him on a plane. Just, just get him on it. Let him try it out. Well, here's the track that we're going to be using, Lord willing, this coming year. And... Uh, it's a, it's a small booklet. I showed you all last time we were here another one that we did called uh, What the Rabbis Don't Want You to Know, for Forbidden, What the Rabbis Don't Want You to Know. It's a, this is a remake of that. That other one got me in a lot of trouble uh, because of the picture of the rabbi with the X across his face in it, if you all remember. And so we've had to change that because of the area that we live in. We live in an ultra-Orthodox communities in, that, in the area that we're at. And, uh, you know, it was fine up in Kiryat Shmona when there wasn't a lot of religious people but now we live, and 80% of the men are rabbis, so when you give them a pamphlet that says what the rabbis don't want you to know, it just don't go over very well. So we changed it, and it's the reality. And so we've added to it and taken away some stuff, and and uh, so it's a very good, solid, uh, solid piece of material that we use over there. And so this is what we'll be printing this year uh, over there and, and giving out. So I appreciate you giving to that, and uh, it will be used, and so we are just excited about what god has in store for us matthew chapter 25 tonight matthew chapter 25 let's jump right into the message and uh, appreciate uh, your pastor inviting us to come out and uh, certainly appreciate all that you've done for us words just cannot explain and uh, we are just so so very grateful matthew chapter 25 and we'll begin reading in verse number one and we'll just read down to verse number 13 Matthew chapter 25. If you got your place, I'll ask you to stand just in reverence to the Word of God tonight. Matthew chapter 25, if you're able to. In verse number 1, the Bible says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know ye not. Well, what's some of the saddest words in the Bible? Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Father, we love you and we're so thankful tonight for the privilege we had of being here in the house of God today. Thank you for the good liberty that is in this place. Lord, That you've just been here all day and we thank you for your presence. We don't take that for granted tonight. Lord, we ask tonight that you would take this message and I pray that you would speak to each and every heart. We ask, Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be magnified tonight, Lord, in our midst. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you'll do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, here in Matthew chapter 25, let me do something I absolutely abhor to do, and that is to take a verse out of its context. I'm a stickler for keeping in the context. I love expository preaching and and I love staying within the context. But I'm going to have to uh, deviate from what I would normally do just to show you the picture that I want to paint tonight of the ancient Jewish wedding. Matthew chapter 25 is dealing with a subject called the judgment of the nations. And in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 31, the Bible says this, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And so here he is talking about an event that's going to be taking place at the end of the tribulation period, and it's referred to as the judgment of the nations. Here nations will be judged on how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. And so that is what Matthew 25 is dealing with. He gives two parables here in Matthew 25 illustrating the same truth. Five were ready, five were not ready. Five were wise, five were not wise. And so he uses this illustration to teach this point. Matthew chapter 24 goes back and he deals with events that's going to be taking place in the tribulation period. Again, listen to what I said. Matthew 24 deals with events that will take place In the tribulation period, in the seven year tribulation period. The church is not in Matthew chapter 24. He's not dealing with it at all. You'll find the first, from verse number four down through verse number eight, he's dealing with the first half of the tribulation period. From verses nine down through verse number 12, he starts dealing with the second half of the tribulation period. From verses 13 or 14, all the way down to the end of the chapter of Matthew 24, he goes into greater details. Of the events of the tribulation period. And he makes the statement in Matthew 24 as it was, in the, as of, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not the hour the Lord doth come. Now I know that sounds like the rapture of the church, but he's not talking about the rapture. Right. He is talking about this judgment of the nations that's going to be taking place, this, what he'll be leading into in the millennial reign of Christ. And he says as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So my question is, how was it in the days of Noah? Noah was not taken, Noah was left on this earth. It was the wicked who were taken, and they were taken into judgment. So likewise it shall be, as it was in the days of Noah. These wicked will be taken into judgment, and the righteous will go into that millennial reign, that thousand-year reign. Amen. And to illustrate all that truth of Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus uses a picture. And this picture is of the ancient Jewish wedding. Now, as it illustrates this truth about about this judgment of the nation, I'm going to use this same picture and illustrate the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not at the end of the tribulation period, but before the tribulation period starts. And the reason I will do that is because uh, you'll find Jesus uses or the Bible uses the illustration of the relationship of a husband and wife with that of Christ and the church. He uses these pictures of marriage. He uses these pictures of a wedding throughout to illustrate other truths, not just that of the of The judgment of the nations. And so I'm going to do that tonight. And so as I go through and look at this ancient Jewish wedding, I want to notice three things about this. First of all, I want to notice the betrothal period. And we'll look at the betrothal period. Then I want to go through and I want to look at the wedding period. And then after the wedding period, we'll look at the the celebration period. And that's pretty much the three divisions of the Jewish wedding. Now, this is not a modern-day Jewish wedding that I'll be going through tonight, but this is an ancient wedding. And when I say it's an ancient Jewish wedding, it's not just a Jewish wedding. This would be an ancient Middle Eastern custom style of wedding that would have taken place during all the way back. These principles, you can go back to the book of Genesis and find many of these principles being started in the book of Genesis. And so here's the type of wedding that would take place in those days. When we look at the betrothal period, you'll find, uh, you know, the betrothal period, they didn't have dating and courting and things of that nature back in that day. And you know, you you take a young man, if he sees a woman and he wants her to be his wife, just, just for sake of scenario, say this guy was down at the Shook, he's down at the market. And he's down at the market and he's buying him some stuff at the market and he looks out and he sees this young lady walking and he thought, man, this is the woman for me. I mean, this is the lady that I've got. He just head over heels for this woman. Well, if he wanted her to be his wife, what he would do is he would go and he would draw up a contract, a covenant. and They call it in Hebrew a ketubah. They still will sign a ketubah today in marriages. They'll still sign this contract, uh, this covenant as they're entering into this marriage. And so what he would do is he would write up this ketubah and he would bring it down and he would sit down. He would meet this young lady and he would sit down with her and her father and he would go through this proposal period. And he's offering this ketuba unto this young lady, and so and so as they're sitting around the table or whatever they're sitting around, they're they're going through the whole scenario of this. This woman knows exactly what she's getting into because everything that is expected of her is listed within this contract. Yeah. Just a few of the things that would mention uh, that would uh, that would be mentioned therein is the her will his willingness to provide for the young lady. In this contract, he's going to tell her, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And so she knows what she's getting into. Secondly, it would describe the the, the marriage process. You see, she's not walking into this thing blindly saying, you know, I don't know what he expects. No, everything is laid out in this ketubah. And so the whole process of this wedding will be, te- will be laid out within it. Thirdly, it will give a price in which this young man is willing to pay. And so uh, he would be willing to give a large amount of money uh, to to purchase her as his bride. Now, this this price, as I've read, uh, sometimes was extremely costly. I mean, very costly. Amen. It's very expensive to get a wife. Amen. Y'all can say amen to that. I mean, uh, and that's why you only read in the Bible that only the wealthy had more than one wife because they couldn't afford the shoes for more than one wife. Amen. That would get expensive. You got to buy shoes for two women, so only the wealthy could buy. Oh, I had to just be at lunch today to get that one. Amen. <laughs> and so uh, it's very costly to have more than one wife. And so, but this young man is saying, I am willing to pay X amount of dollars for or X amount of, I guess it'd be shekels back in them, uh, to, to purchase this young woman. And again, they they likened it to, in our modern day to day, it's like putting a down payment on a house. Very, very costly. Now the reason the cost was so expensive uh, was for several reasons. Number one, it was to compensate, and ladies don't take this wrong, but it was to compensate the father for having a daughter instead of having a son. You see, to have a son was something of great esteem back in biblical days. You can read, you can see the examples of that throughout the Bible. And so here, uh, it was to compensate the father. But secondly, it was to compensate the father for raising a daughter that would be desired. Here it is to compensate him for raising such a godly or a godly young woman that would be desired. You know the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that a virtuous woman her price is far above that of rubies. That's right. Remember we had a family in Maryland one time that they told us their daughter when she turned 18 they gave her a ruby ring for her graduation present. And it was to remind her that her price is far above rubies. Amen. And I thought praise the Lord for that. Thank God for women that will instill within their daughters A virtue of godliness. A virtue within them, listen, that the world cannot create. Uh, One that labors within their children. Listen, it takes time. It takes prayer. It takes effort to raise a godly young lady. And we need some godly women that will rise up and be an example unto them. Just as we need godly men that would rise up today and be the man of God in their homes that they should be in leading their families to walk with God, to love God, and to live for God. Here this this man would offer this price to to compensate the father for raising a daughter that would be desired. But then thirdly, it was to show this guy was serious. He wasn't playing around. This guy was serious and he he was showing that he was willing to commit this amount to purchase this young lady to be his bride. He was serious about it. And so here you'll find the, the cost was, was very costly. And, uh, but we think about the reality of this. You know, some 2,000 years ago, there was a man, but not just any man. That's right. Here we find a man, uh, God manifested in the flesh. And he came to this earth. And you know what he was looking for? He's looking for a bride. That's right. And you know what? He was willing to pay a price that no one could meet. That's right. You see, just as that young man would be sitting there at that table with that man, with his, that father and his daughter, you know, as he's sitting there, there could have been some other kind of guy down there at the, at the market as well and saw her. He could walk in with a, with a, with a contract as well and say, hey, I want to marry her. And she could have looked at the two different contracts and compared to see which the better deal was. But you see, there ain't nobody can compare That's right. to the price that Jesus was willing to pay. For you and I. And so the cost is so very great. So we think of that of what Christ has provided for you and I. The Bible even tells us over in John 15 in verse number 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He tells us as well in Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, I counsel people a lot of times when it comes to marriage, and I'll tell them, I said, listen, you know, marriage is not an emotion. Right. I was in therapy the other day and, and I was working on my, on my jaw. I've got TMJ in the jaw. That was from my broke ribs and I've just had issues. I, mean, I had a lot of health issues, but so anyway, I'm in there in therapy and I've been talking to the, to the, to the people working in there and man, she, I went through this whole concept of marriage and what love is. And I said, love's not an emotion. And she said, what do you mean it's not an emotion? I said, emotions come and go. That's right. I mean, they're up and down one day to the next. That's if you right. base your relationship yeah. on a feeling, uh, no, you enter into this marriage thinking, "Well, if it don't work, we'll just get a divorce." Yeah. Well, see, that's the wrong concept. That's because right. our concept of, of, of love is an emotion, and it is not an emotion. Right. Love is a sacrifice. Yep. Love is a sacrifice. Yep. The Bible says, "For God so loved the world that He gave." That's where Christ loved the church and gave. Yes, You see, love is a sacrifice. In order to make a marriage work, it's going to require sacrifice. Yes. Man, when I got saved, I had no idea what... Mar- I, got, I got married early, early, and I wasn't saved, and I had no desire for God. I had no... Con- I mean, I wasn't even thinking about God. And I'm telling you, I was a miserable, miserable husband. I was terrible. I mean, I was, I was some, I was some mean to my wife, I and mean, I didn't beat my wife or nothing like that. But you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I would, I was very abusive verbally. It I really was. I was, I was pretty rough. And, and I remember after I got saved and understood what God's love was, it changed my whole thinking of how I should love my wife. Amen. Because if husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, I realized, listen, that instead of putting my hunting in front of my wife or putting fishing in front of my wife, I realized that in order for our relationship to make it and our relationship to be strong, then there's going to be some sacrifices. Amen. That's right. And I've got to put her first yes. in, in my life. Not these other things. Not that those things are bad. It's just what are their priorities. Right. No wonder our marriages are falling apart. No wonder our homes are falling apart. It's because we don't consider what true love is. It has nothing to do with emotions. That's right. It all has to do with our actions and with our and with our sacrifices that we make. And so My marriage today, listen, my marriage today is better now than it's ever been. Why? Because this is how we live our lives. We'll sacrifice one to another. We demonstrate these things to each other. But here we find Christ has demonstrated His love. And no greater love hath had any man than what Christ has done for you and I by giving His life for us. He even says it this way in First Peter 1 and 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He says in Acts 20 and verse 28, He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which He hath purchased which he has purchased with his own blood. And so here we find this purchasing that took place. He even said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. He said, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's right. We've been bought with a price. Amen. I remember when we first started getting into the tent ministry and uh, you know, we needed something to haul this tent around. I used to make tents... You know, years ago down in Carrollton. And, uh, and, and so we got a tent. We got table, our chairs and stage. We got all that stuff. And the only thing I didn't have was something to move the thing around with. And I said, we need to get a truck. So, you know, here my, my uh, I found this good deal on this old Ford pickup, Dually, you know. It was a piece of junk. And I bought that thing for nearly nothing and sold it for nearly nothing as soon as I got it, you know. And the and, uh, thing wouldn't even haul a quarter of wood up a hill. I mean, it was terrible. It was awful. And uh, I got that truck. I remember one day we went down to the Ford dealership, had to get a part. And I'm sitting there with this old truck, and my wife wandered over in the new truck aisle. She's over there looking at these new trucks, and she said, "You gotta come look at this." I said, "I don't even want to see it. Don't even want to see it." And she said, "You gotta come look at the price of these things." I walked over and looked at one of them trucks. Like sixty-something thousand dollars for this big old Dooley. I mean, it looked good. I paid that for my first house. And it had five acres of land on it, you know. And I thought, wow, I, I, just, I couldn't believe a, a vehicle costs that much. Now, if you've got something like that, praise the Lord. You know, thank God. That's, that's wonderful. You can still tithe and give to missions. Thank God. Get, get you a big old diesel dually truck. Hallelujah. But, you know, I couldn't. So I'm sitting there and, and I thought, you know, could you imagine if you were to... Go out and buy you one of those big old, I'm a Dodge guy, so go out and buy you a Dodge 3500 you know, and spend sixty five, seventy five thousand dollars 75000 on this nice diesel, and you you go to get in that thing, and you climb in that nice leather seat, and you can just smell, you know that new car smell, you know. You, you get in that new car, and you're sitting there, and you know, you've been inside, you have signed now your life away for the next, I don't know how many years, seven, eight, nine years, I don't know how long they'll do a loan on a vehicle, but you've signed your life away for the next you know, many years, and, and uh, you, you're, you, you, matter of fact, buying a car, they, I mean, it's like buying a house, you know, it's crazy how long, how many papers you got to sign and all these things. Well, you're in there for hours signing those papers, you come out and get in that new truck, and you go to fire that diesel up, and you, could you imagine just turning the key and nothing happening? And you're going, what in the world? And you turn that key and nothing happens, and you get out and you walk around, you pop the hood on that thing, and while you're in there signing your life away, somebody come along and stole that motor out. How would you feel if you just bought this truck and you didn't get, he didn't even get the motor? Yeah. I mean, you paid for this thing and you didn't get everything you paid for. How in the world do you think Jesus feels when he has purchased us with his own blood? Yes. And yet we don't give him every area of our That's life. Right. We'll say, Lord, you can have this area of my life, but you can't have the motor. You can have this area, but you can't have that area. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, Sunday's my day to watch the Falcons. I don't know if I can make it into the house of God. Now, my pastor, for some odd reason, called a business meeting for next Sunday night. It's like preacher. (laughs) Really? Why would you do that on Super Bowl Sunday? But you know what? We're gonna sit through the meeting. That's right. We'll go through the business meeting and then we'll go watch what's left of the game. You know what? But I wonder how many people will miss the house of God that won't come to church so they can watch the Falcons, hopefully win the Super Bowl. You know, how many people will put that before the Lord? Oh, Lord, I love you. I want to give you my life. But I just don't know if I can give you Sunday night. I mean, I gotta watch them Falcons. I don't know if I can make it on Wednesday night. I mean, you can have every area of my life, but I don't know if I can I don't know if I can just get involved in this area. I don't know if I can get involved in going out and soul winning and trying to reach people with the gospel. I'm comfortable right here where I'm at, sitting on my pew, doing my own thing, instead of letting the Lord have every area of your life. Amen. We've been bought with a price. And he said, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God. You see, what would happen during this scenario is this young man would come up and and sit down with this man and his daughter. He would then, if she decides to to accept this offer, if they decide to accept the offer, then he would take a cup of the fruit of the vine and they would pour this grape juice, this pure grape juice, and it would be sitting there on the table. If she chooses to accept, she don't have to. They don't have to accept this offer. But if she chooses... Her choice in accepting it is by partaking of that cup and drinking of that cup. That seals the agreement that she is making in this commitment of this betrothal period. You'll find this betrothal period will will last anywhere from one to two years. At least one to two years. Could last a lot longer than that. Could be a prearranged marriage from birth. But it has to last at least one year. Uh, at least one year. Now, when we think about all these examples, we see the price and the proposal. I think of the proposal that Jesus made to you and I. You see, that offer, listen, is not just to the nation of Israel. He didn't just come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Thank God this offer is to the Jew. It's to the Gentile. I'm telling you, it it goes beyond color of skin. It goes beyond the race. It goes beyond religion. He died for every man and would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That proposal is for everybody. It's for everybody. I thought about the promises. Just as that young man would list all these things that he would do, we look at the promises that Jesus gives us in the Word of God. I mean, He has promised to meet those needs. He's promised us blessings. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3, Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He has promised that to never leave us and forsake us. He has promised us uh, eternal life. Eternal. Thank God that cup has been, that cup has been offered and it's, it is there made available for all those who would be willing to take and receive it. And so here we find, as she would partake of this, she's now entering into this, entering into this covenant with this young man. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27 says this, And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Thank God that cup has been poured and it's made available to everybody that will partake of it. And that is exactly what Jesus is referring to there in, uh, in, at that last supper that's taking place there in Jerusalem that night. And so here we find this cup has been offered. But then after this young lady would partake of this and now they're entering into this betrothal period, this young man would provide her with, these, with certain gifts. He would provide her with these gifts that would help her in the betrothal period. Now, during this betrothal period, this young man wouldn't see this woman during this time period. Now, again, it had to last at least one year, sometimes longer, but at least one year. And so, uh, this one, young lady during this time pra- uh, frame would have responsibilities just as this young man would. But he would give her these gifts. Now, these gifts were a reminder. Number one, it was a reminder of his commitment to her And number two, it was to help her during this betrothal period. Now we think about what Jesus has given you and I. I mean, first of all, He gave us the Holy Spirit of God. Right. He makes a statement over in uh, First John chapter four and verse number 13, "Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His spirit." Yeah. He says in John 14 and verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you and my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let me show you four things I want to bring out on those verses of Scriptures of the gift that he will give you and I upon salvation. And that's his spirit. First of all, according to John 14, he would bring us comfort. He is called the Comforter. He brings us comfort. You see, during this betrothal period, it would last at least one year, could be longer, could be two years, could be several years. But you see, during that betrothal period, it could be a long, discouraging time. But you know what that man did? He gave her a gift. And that gift would help her during this betrothal period. As she would look down upon that gift, whatever it may be, she is reminded of His love and His devotion to her. Just as I, when I proposed to my wife, I gave her a gift. I gave her a, an engagement ring. And I'm telling you, my wife could be sitting there one day and she could say, you know, I wonder if he really loves me. And she could look down at that rock on her finger and say, oh yeah, he loves me. I mean, because it would remind her. And just as the gift in which this man would give this young woman, it would bring comfort to her Amen. during this betrothal period. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he's made this commitment to the church. I'm telling you, it's been a long time. It's been a, Some of you have been saved a long time. Brother, you're talking about being saved for quite some time. And since you're seven years of age. I'm telling you, it's been some time. But you know what? I'm telling you, listen, he's gave us a promise. And that promise is through the Spirit of God. You know what could take you from seven years of age until now and bring you comfort, bring you strength in the trials and tribulations of life. It's the Spirit of God within you. Yeah, He didn't say life would be easy. He didn't say it would be a a nice, easy road. But I'm telling you, He gives you a gift that will help you down that road, that will give you strength, and that will give you comfort. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And so He provides comfort. You'll find He uh, provides instruction. Instruction. He says there, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. So he'll bring instruction. You see, here you'll find he prepares us to meet the bridegroom. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit of God. What does he do? He is working in our lives to help us get ready for when Jesus comes. That we might see him, we'll be like him. He's preparing us. That sanctification as we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we get it from? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit within us. He is to instruct us. And so that gift that He would provide brings that instruction. And so thirdly, you'll find He not only brings comfort or instruction, but He brings remembrance. He said, the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. You see, the gift that He gave us, the Spirit of God... Listen, He's within us now and He's not going to let us forget the one that bought us. That's right, I'm telling you, after I got saved April 6, 1997, I'm telling you, my life, has, my life was drastically changed. Amen. And I never went through a period in my life where I said, man, I just ain't got no desire to live for God. I just ain't got no desire to go to church. I don't have no desire. I mean, I've been through some struggles in life. I ain't saying that, but I've never... Why? Because there's something within me that I just can't forget what He's done for Amen. me. Amen. Yes. I mean, I can't forget. Why? Because there is a gift that He gave within me and that's the Spirit of God. Yes. And He's a constant reminder of the commitment that I made in April 6, 1997 and the commitment that Christ has made to me. Amen. He'll bring things to your remembrance but then fourthly, He'll bring peace. He said, He'll bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you and peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so He brings peace. You see, there's no need of of worrying about losing the bridegroom. Why? Because He gave us a gift. I'm glad I don't have to get saved one day and saved another day and another day and another day. No, He gave us eternal life. And I'm telling you, He gave us a gift that is something that is for all of eternity. I'm t- I remember when my, my wife and we got engaged and I gave her that ring. You see, again, there could be times she could get in discouraging times and all she had to do was look down at that ring. I remember when I gave her that engagement ring, you know, everywhere that ring went, she followed it. And that's about how it was, you know. It's amazing how women can do that. You could walk into a room, somebody just got engaged, and it's like they can spot it. You got, I mean, they just go hysterical. I don't understand that. I don't know how they do that, but it happened. I just, I've seen it. But you everywhere that ring went. And I'm telling you, there could be times my wife is just discouraged and, and going through that time. And well, all she had to do was look down and remember my love to her my commitment to her. And I'm telling you, listen, it could be discouraging now. You could be going through a discouraging time. You could be going through the trials of life. But I'm telling you, listen, if you'll just stop and take a good look within, of the Spirit of God within you, you can find comfort. No matter what storm may come your way, no matter what life may bring you, you can find help by because of the gift in which He gave. And that's the Spirit of God. Secondly, not only He gave us the Spirit, He gave us the Scriptures. This right here is a gift from God. And you know what? He gave us the Word of God. Do you know why? To do the same thing the Spirit does. It trims off the world. It gets all this excess off and helps us get ready for the bridegroom to come. The more we read it, the more we conform to it, the more it makes us more and more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, that Word of God that He gave is a gift that will help us. It'll, It'll give us the strength. It'll help us learn about the One who has bought us. Man, when I got saved, they say there's, I forgot even how many uh, theological things that takes place to a person when they get saved. Ridiculous number. But y'all, y'all remember when I got saved, I didn't know none of them. That's right. I didn't know all I knew is I was dying going to hell I knew See, Jesus was yeah. the way I didn't understand everything about theology I didn't even know what the word theology was I had no idea none of that That's stuff right. about the Bible I just knew I was lost and Jesus was the way and I'm telling you I got saved but you know what after I got saved I started getting in that Bible and reading the word of God and I begin to learn and I begin to grow in God's grace and His knowledge and the more I read it the more I learned the more I began to change my life why? because this is a gift that He has given to help us in that betrothal period and so he provided these gifts after he would provide the young lady with these gifts he would then go back to his father's house and so he would depart and he would tell the young lady he's going to go back and prepare a place for her he would go back to his father's house and he would prepare a place at his father's house for this for this uh, day that would take place and so he would go back and start working on this place, preparing preparing this place. People could come up and ask the young man, "Hey, you know, I hear you get married. When's the big day?" He'd have to say, "You know, I have no idea because it's not up to me. It's up to my father. Amen. My father determines because this young man had to get everything ready. He would go back to the father's house and and build a uh, a, a section on the father's house in, in Jewish in ancient Jewish theology they called it a little mansion." He would build on the side of the father's house. And as he would build this, again, it wasn't up to the man. It had to be up to the father to determine when it would be. I mean, guys, you think about it. If it was up to us, we'd build just, we'd throw a little lean-to up and it'd be over. You know, I mean, it's, it's good. But you see, the father determined when it was ready. And so the young man would say, you'd have to ask my father because only my father knows when it's going to take place. Well, after he's gone preparing these things, he has those responsibilities, but the lady has responsibilities as well. Now she would start using these gifts and she would start preparing herself to meet the bridegroom when he comes. And so she would start getting herself ready. She would go through, firstly, she would go through a mikvah. A mikvah is simply a baptismal pool. Baptisms didn't start with John the Baptist. I'm sorry, it didn't start with John the Baptist. It goes all the way back to Moses. It goes all the way back to the law. You'll go over to Israel and you will see hundreds and hundreds of ancient mikvahs. These mikvahs are baptism pools. They would literally go down in the water. They didn't sprinkle. They didn't do any of that. No, they would be submerged in water and then they would come out of the water. Now, this was done several times you would do this before you'd sacrifice you would do this on feast days women would do it once a month i mean it was just it was a constant going through these mikvahs and purifying themselves it's funny there in our area we live in i had a, a arab friend of mine we were driving up the road and i said what is that place over there?" It's this an old shack looking it would have been a nice looking building if it wasn't for all the graffiti on it. It's just all kind of, these religious guys will get over there and put graffiti about their rabbis all over stuff. It's just pitiful looking. And I said, what is that place? He goes, oh, that's, that's that place with the dirty water. And I thought, dirty water? What are you talking? And he don't speak good English. He's like, yeah, the dirty water place. And I'm like, what is the dirty water place? And so I walk in there and it's a modern day mikvah. And so I saw all these Hasidic Jews, these ultra-Orthodox Jews, they'll line up out there before the Sabbath starts and they'll go in there and they all get in this pool of water and, and submerge themselves getting ready for the Sabbath day. And so there was these mikvahs all over. And so this woman would go through a mikvah, first of all. And so she'd go through this ceremonial cleansing. Then secondly, she would take this time to learn how to be a fitting wife. She's working on trying to learn how to be that proper wife for when he comes. And so she's, she's using these di- new gifts to make her beautiful and prepared and ready and uh, then she would wear a veil you see now she looked different than before she could go down to the marketplace and ain't no young man going down there going to say hey i want to have this woman because you know what he can't see her because she's covered and so when he'd look at her it's a sign to them that she's already spoken for Because she looked different than everybody else. And so she dressed differently now. She looked different. She acted different. whole life was changing. Her focus now is not on the world anymore. It's not trying to find a man because she's already found him. Now her focus is getting ready for him to come. That is what her life is about now. That's what her focus. And so it's a time of, of preparation. It's a time of purity. This is why the betrothal period would have to last at least one year. It was to make sure that this young woman was not already pregnant had to go at least a year to make sure that she was pure. And so it was a time of purity. It was a time of proclamation. It's a time that she went through telling everybody, Hey, ain't you heard? Have you heard the good news? I'm getting married. I'm getting married. And she'd be telling everybody, hey, I'm getting married. It's a time of proclamation. It's a time of purity. It's a time of preparation. You'll find it's it's she is preparing. She is supposed to be getting her stuff ready, getting everything in order. That's why we read in Matthew 25, this woman had her lamps ready. She had them trimmed. She had them ready to go because she was preparing. And Jesus told us that those five were not ready. Why? Because they were not making preparations. And so she has that responsibility. Now again, we think about the fulfillment of these promises. We find the first thing that takes place to a believer after he gets saved is baptism. We go through a ceremonial cleansing as well. Now baptism don't save you. Uh, Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Nor did those mikvahs in those days. But here is a person now. They're born again. They're identifying with Christ. They're identifying with the local church. They're saying to the world, Hey, I've been bought with a price. I've been, I've been betrothed. I am waiting for His coming. And that's what you're saying to the world when you get baptized. That's the first step. And so we'll go through that ceremonial washing. But then we're to, it's a time of proclamation. We're to be letting others know. We're to be going out telling others, Hey, have you heard? You can get in on it too. I mean, we're to go into all the world and, and, uh, and, and preaching the gospel to every creature as He tells us. It's a time of proclamation. It's a time of purity. In Ephesians 5 and 26, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And I like how he adds this next phrase in. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. See, it's a time of sanctification. It's a time that we are growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has betrothed us. And so here it's a time of purity. It's a time of sanctification. We are to look different. I mean, we are to be different than the world. The world ought not look at us and and not see a difference within us. I'm telling you, if there's a change that has taken place in your heart, it should produce on the outward as well. People ought to be able to look a difference at God's people and say, man, there's something different about them. They've got something that I don't have. Amen. And so here it's a, time of, it's a time of sanctification. But then it's a time of just being ready. We've got to be constantly ready. Just as that bride had to have her lamps ready and trimmed and waiting and, and her garments on ready because she did not know when that bridegroom was going to come. And I'm telling you, we ought to live every day in the expectation that... This could be the day. You know, we've heard the, the preaching of the coming of the Lord for so many years. I think that we have gotten hardened to it. We believe it. Oh, yes, we believe it. But do we really believe it? I mean, do we believe that it could be before the end of this service tonight? Do we believe that it could be in the morning? Do we believe it could be tonight? I, I mean, it could happen at any moment, at any time. And he's saying, watch therefore and be you ready for you don't know the day or the hour. That's right. yeah. I don't know when He's going to come. But I do know one thing. He's coming. Amen. Amen. Because He's made that promise. That's right. And that young lady didn't have a clue when He was going to come. But she did know He was coming. And she had to be ready. She had to be constantly ready, waiting for His appearance. And so here we find as, 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 as all these things are taking place, then we find the catching away of the bride. Because here we find, as this young young lady is living in this anticipation that it's going to happen at any moment, at any time, all of a sudden we find this young man, when his father tells him, Son, go get your bride. Everything is now ready. And all of a sudden, here this young man would come. Because I'll remind you that Jesus, Jesus even told him, No man knoweth the day or the hour. He said, Not the angels in heaven. He said, Not even the son. Only the father. And so here the father says, all right, son, go get your bride. And so that young man would take a whole wedding procession with him. And they would come marching in. And as they would come marching in, he would take that shofar and he would get that trumpet. And he would stand outside her house and he would blow the shofar. And as he would blow that shofar, he would then go rushing into the house. And he would grab his bride and snatch her up and take her back to the father's house. Now, here we find, it, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, listen, friend, that trumpet's gonna sound one day, and all of a sudden, listen, that bridegroom is gonna come running in and he's gonna grab his wife, his bride to be. My wife had to sit way in the back to make me do this. And so he'd come get her, get his bride, and he would bring her back to the father's house. Now, the first time I preached this, my wife, when I ran back and grabbed her all the way down, she said, What are you doing with me? What are you doing? She's terrified. So now she knows what's happening. So that's why she sits in the back, you know, to make me run a little bit. She threatened to go hide somewhere and make me go looking for her. So I had to keep my, don't run away, bride. Let me grab something. And so he would bring her back to the father's house. And there they would come back to the father's house. Now they do this in, in, in modern Jewish weddings today, but they will stand under the, the, under the talid, under the prayer shawl. And so this is what the men will wear when they go to pray every uh, every morning. Matter of fact, if you ever see Jewish men with little bitty fringes hanging outside of their shirts, what they are wearing is a small one of these. It's called a talit katan. And it's like an undershirt with these fringes on it. Now, they'll wear that. Religious guys will wear it all the time. I remember I had one on one time as a demonstration. I was out in West Virginia, and I had to run into a... I was at a church, and I had to run into a Staples to get something. And I had this thing on, and this lady goes, Excuse me, sir, I hate to bother you, but you've got something hanging out of your, your shirt there. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I know. You know, She's like, Okay. You know? <laughs> but you'll see these religious... I guess I never saw that over in that area of West Virginia. But, uh, but here they'll, they'll come back, and they'll stand underneath this prayer shawl. Now, this prayer shawl, these fringes, there's 13 different knots they will tie within these. These, these knots represent... The law. The Hebrew word for talit, you'll take the numerical value of the Hebrew word talit, and when you total it up, it's 600. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. They'll add these 13 knots for 613. And so here, this represents the Word of God. As these religious Jews, you'll see them wearing this, as they are to look down, the Bible says you're to put fringes on the corners of your garment that you may look when you look on them you'll not forget the commandments of the lord. Now I'm quoting that wrong, but that's I'm paraphrasing. And so it's to remind them that they're obligated to keep the word of god. They're committed to keeping the word of god. So it's a constant reminder of them. Had a Jewish guy one time that uh said that uh, when when he got saved, he said he could cut the fringe or when a person dies, they cut those fringes off. Because they're no longer bound to the law. Because they're dead to the law. Oh, Paul said the same thing in the book of Galatians. Right. For I through the law am dead to the law. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live it by the faith of the Son of God. So I told that Jewish guy when he got saved, I said, you cut them fringes off. That's Why? Because right. you're dead to the law now. Amen. Yet you're living. And you're living in Christ. So here we find it represents the law, the Word of God. So when they come back, they will stand underneath what they call a kupah. And so they'll stand underneath this together. There will be poles that will mount on each four corners. Friends and neighbors will gather there and and they'll help hold up these poles as they're holding it up together. And, uh, And here you'll find it speaks about the support that they need of others in their marriage. But just support. You'll find if you're not careful, you can inter uh, you can intermingle too much in a person's relationship and hurt their marriage. I've seen that happen many times with with uh, with with parents after their children get married, they right. get too involved in taking control of their children's marriage and it hurts their marriage. That's why he said, "For this cause shall a husband leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." But here they're gathered together. Now the color white speaks of righteousness. And so their homes have got to be built on righteousness, Uh, standing on righteousness. Blue speaks about heaven. You know, Oliver Green said that our home should be a little piece of heaven. I say amen to that. So uh, here it speaks about heaven. Gold speaks about deity. And so here, listen, we need more than anything. We need God That's in our right. homes. And so they'll stand underneath this kuppa, and they will go through the marriage process. And I don't even want to let God. I just want to keep her up here for a little while. But uh, anyway, so they'll stand and I'm trying to, I'm trying to. And so the openness speaks about the openness of our, of our homes, of our lives. There shouldn't be no secrets held That's within. Right. Yeah, uh, we man. should share one another. We upon our relationship. You know, it's sad. It's sad that, uh, that 50, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And you know, within the first five years of marriage is the highest divorce rate. Do you know when the second highest divorce rate is? Between 15 and 25 years of marriage. What about that? You say, why is that? Well, here's what I think. I think the reason is is because they've, been, they've had kids in those time frame and all of a sudden they've been going to sports, they've been going to basketball, to football, to cheerleading, to all these different events and all of a sudden the kids are getting ready to move out and they look across the table and they say, who is that? Yeah, I mean, we've been running here and there and everywhere and I don't know who you are now. And the relationship dies. Why? Because they've not strengthened it. That's they've true. not worked on it. That's and you know what? It takes work. It takes labor. It takes sacrifice. It takes a constant working at your relationship. So they stand underneath the kuppa. Underneath the, underneath the okay, honey, I'll let you go and let you go make that long walk back. That's why they sit in the back so my son could blow that shofar uh, way out there in the back. So they'll go through this this whole wedding process. Now, after the wedding uh, ceremony is done, after the, the process takes place, then they will go in into the bridal chamber, and the door will be shut. And there in the bridal chamber, uh, here, can I, can I say it this way? This young man will see this young lady for the first time. She's, he's not going to see all the decorations anymore. You know, He's not going to see all that anymore. He's going to see and learn of who she is for who she is. It's, it's going to be all made out. Now listen to this. When we think about the fulfillment of this, And then as this marriage is now consummated, the best man will stand at the door. And once it's announced to him, he will tell everybody else, the marriage is now consummated. And they will start what is called the celebration period. Now, think of the fulfillment of this. You know, in Revelation 19, in verse number 6, listen to what the Bible says. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and is the voice of many waters, and is the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints." Here we find the marriage taking place. And let me show you this. Then we find the best man standing there. Well, who's the best man? Well, that's an easy one. That's John the Baptist. You say, how do you figure that? Because he said he was. In John 3 and 28, he said, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. So John said, I'm the best man. (laughs) And so here we find the best man standing there. Yeah, And here we find others will be gathered there. Matthew 8 verses 11 says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. Here we find others gathered there. Who's the guest that's going to be there? There are going to be Old Testament saints gathered there. There's going to be tribulation saints that will be gathered there. They're not part of the church. The church is now. The church will be raptured up. Those that are saved during the seven-year tribulation period are not part of the church. But they're going to be the friends that will be gathered there. So you'll find all these gathering there. And all this is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. You see... Here Christ will now, as we're standing there, uh, He will now, all the secret things will now be revealed. Oh, and He talks about trying every man. And there's an aspect of the judgment seat of Christ that brings a sense of fear in the eyes and the hearts of God's people. Because we think of those things that will be judged and things of reward and loss of reward that we can receive. But let me paint another picture of the judgment seat of Christ also. Because yes, Paul spoke about the terror of the Lord, that it persuaded him. But you know, there's an aspect of the judgment seat of Christ that's such a beautiful thing. Here's a man getting married to his wife. He's not standing there to bash her. He's not standing there on his wedding day saying, you made a mistake. You should have did this. Here's a man that was willing to pay, as Jesus did, gave his life for And here he is getting ready to marry the one that he bought. It's a beautiful picture. And here I believe a lot as we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I think there's going to be a lot of aspect of self-condemnation. I think there's going to be people standing there saying, Man, this is so wonderful. I sure wish I'd have gotten more involved. I sure wish I'd have told more people. Man, there could have been more people that could be here if I would have just told them. Yes, there could have been more people here if I'd have just got out and knocked on doors. And there'd have been more people here if I could have just got involved in missions. And there could be more people here if I would have just got more serious about my walk with God and my relationship with Him. It, bro. I'm telling you, we're going to stand there one day. And I think we're going to have a lot of regret of Preach what we it. didn't do. Preach it, bro. Of what we didn't do. Right. And so, yes, there's an aspect of the judgment seat of Christ where we'll lose reward and and gain reward. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of memories there of what there could have been and there's not because we didn't take it seriously. So here we find the judgment seat of Christ taking place. Then the celebration period. The celebration period would last for seven days. I remember the first time we were in Israel and we were renting a little, or we are staying in this little two apartments, is what we had. and Both of them were as big as this platform, both apartments. So my children slept in one side, me and my wife slept in the other side because they all, both only had one bed in them. So uh, we, we were sitting there one night, it was, it, was, it was 10 o'clock at night, we're laying in bed, and I start hearing these bombs go off. Now we're living, you've got to understand, we're about five miles from Lebanon. Now where we're at, you can look up, And you could see uh, a town called Matula. Matula is a military town that Israel built. And just at the bottom of the hill of Matula is a Lebanese Hezbollah town. Now, back in 2006, Hezbollah shot 450 rockets over into Israel and hit that town that we were living in. And so here I am, laying there in the bed, and I hear these explosions. And so I jump out of the bed... First thing I'm doing, I'm running around the corner trying to get in to make sure my kids are okay, and I'm looking on these mountains of Lebanon, and I ain't seeing nothing. I'm going, what is going on? It stopped. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm looking around. I couldn't never never heard no more, didn't see nothing. So I went back to you know went back to bed. Next day, that night, the next night, did it again. I run out, did the same thing, did that like three nights in a row. I couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, one night when I come running out and ran over there, I looked down and I saw these these fireworks going off and I thought what in the world they're doing shooting fireworks at 10 o'clock at night every single night I've kind of conclusion that's what it was it was a wedding Mm -hmm. a wedding had taken place and they were having a seven-day celebration period and they were shooting these rockets off these fireworks off and I was just missing them by looking the wrong direction as I was coming out but you see it's going to be a seven-day period of, of, of celebration. And they'll be celebrating. They'll be, they'll be feasting. And there'll be great celebrations taking place. Do you know what's going to happen there at, uh, uh, in heaven as the, as the tribulation takes place? And you know how, that tri- how long that tribulation period is? Seven years. Here's a seven day celebration and here's a seven year period of time. And you know what's going to be taking place up there during that tribulation period? Number one, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a feast taking place. And here the bride is going to be celebrating with her new, uh, with the new husband and they're, they're feasting. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 19, 9, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Again, these are the Old Testament saints. They're called to that marriage. They're coming. They're, they're guests. They're friends. But then at the end of that seven day period, the young man would then leave his father's house And he would go to his house. Now what's going to happen at the end of that seven year tribulation period? Jesus is not staying in heaven. He's coming to this earth. And he's going to reign on this earth for 1,000 years. You say, and what are we going to be doing? We're coming with him. We just got married. Right. We're not going to stay up there. We're coming with Him. Amen. And so we're going to be coming back with Him. And we find that the, the, the fulfillment of this and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ back to this earth as Matthew 24 shows us and the church coming back with Him. In Revelation 22 and verse 20, it says this, He which testifieth these things saith surely, I come quickly. Amen. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, what should we do? Well, the very same warning that He gave those tribulation people in Matthew 24 is the same thing. We need to heed. Where He tells them there in... Well, He says it in Mark's Gospel too, in Mark 13, 33. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. We don't know when that time is. But you know what? We better get ready. We better get ready. We better get busy. I'm telling you, now is the time. Now is the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord. And now is a time that we can just we can see God use your lives if you will yield to Him. He gave us the Spirit. He's gave us the Word of God. He's gave us everything. He's equipped us with everything we need. You know what? All we need to do is just do it. It's just use it. Get busy. Get serious about your relationship with God. Get serious about being involved in your church and and reaching out to the world while there's time. You know, some of you got family members. You got loved ones that are not saved. You know what? Jesus could come back tonight. I don't know when He's coming back. You know, you you walk into Walmart November. You walk in November the 1st. Halloween is now over. You walk into Walmart and what do you see? Christmas stuff everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, they already got Christmas trees up. They got all these things that focus on Christmas. But you know what? I've never walked in and seen a turkey tree. I've never seen nothing that, you know, big turkey signs. I mean, you might go through the frozen food section and they'll have turkeys on sale. But that's about it. You don't see nothing about Thanksgiving. Everything is about Christmas. You know, when it comes to prophecy in the Bible, there are no prophecies that focus on the rapture. The prophecies focus on the revelation when Christ comes back to this earth. Yes. But you know what happens when you start seeing prophecies that speak about Jesus coming back to this earth take place? That's it. it tells me that Thanksgiving is even closer. Yes. Amen. that's right. It tells me that it's right around the corner. Yes, sir. When I see all those Christmas trees, I say, hey, it's time to get the smoker out. It's time to get me a big old bird and smoke that bird. It tells me Thanksgiving's near. And man, when I'm seeing things that are taking place in Israel today and God turning back to that nation the way that He is and Jewish people that are looking for truth, and I see all these things taking place, you know what I say? Glory to God. He's getting close. He's Amen. Amen. getting close. It could be today. Amen. It could be tomorrow. It could be a hundred years from now. But you know what I do know? He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? As every head's bowed, every eye closed, as the pastor comes, you know, as we stop and take a good look at our walk, as we stop and take a good look at our relationship with Him, you don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I wish I would have. I wish I could go back. I wish I could have told this person. Maybe you're struggling about witnessing to somebody. You've had a hard time of just opening up and sharing the gospel. Listen, now is the time. Because you don't know when that person will slip off into eternity. You don't know when you will. And you'll never get the opportunity again. Maybe we need to get on our faces tonight before God and say, Lord, this loved one, this friend, this neighbor... God, here's my life. I have been been putting things in my life before you. I want to commit my life afresh and anew to you tonight. God, here am I. Have thy will and way. Father, have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.